while I'm getting organized here, if you'd like to scoot up a little, it'd be nice, just because we're way spread apart. We'll let the guys get out of here. my stuff organized can we beat the guys you think we can get out of here before them <laughs> always needs to be an element of competition doesn't there we can beat them well I'm going to go ahead and pray and then we'll just jump right into it and get started heavenly father we thank you for this day we thank you that spring is near we thank you father God for your word I thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit. I ask that you work in through and for our lives and guide, direct, and orchestrate this service this morning. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you have your Bibles, get your Bibles ready. We're going to look a lot of scriptures up, and we're going to do scriptures and stories. How's that? I just, I don't know. Sometimes I just like to do stories. Before we start that, we're talking about the six goals of raising children. And um, there's a guy, some of you have read his stuff. His name is Michael Pearl, and he wrote this book, Strong in Spirit. And so I'm taking some of the stuff out of there. Um, they live in, they're not Amish, but they live in an Amish community, and they're ultra-conservative. But I think he has some of the best child teaching on raising kids of anybody so some of the information is out of there but we've been talking about last time we talked about the first there's six goals six scriptural goals in raising children and we talked about the first two and today we're going to talk about number three and if you remember the first two is that your children you want your children to grow and increase in stature strong healthy bodies and you know, with Kevin and Holly and, and that baby he's born so little, their primary concern right now is that he grow and increase in stature and become be healthy. And so that all includes lots of things, and it, it includes nutrition and sleep and lots of physical activity. And a couple months ago we talked about the purpose of man and the purpose primary purpose of men. There's lots of things, but just to summarize it, is they should be the protectors and providers. And then last month I talked about women need to be the trainers and the nurturers, and men can nurture and women can provide, but that's kind of the primary focus that the Scripture gives us guidelines on. And, you know, God is more concerned about us raising the little ones in the next generation than he is our cruises and all these things because he wants God's focus is that we that the gospel go from generation to generation and if we don't do our job in doing that it isn't going to happen and apparently there's a lot of neglect in that aspect in this country right now so we just want to do better and do what God wants us to do so as women I believe, you know, the number one responsibility is if you have children to focus on raising them and, and putting God into their life and growing them up to be in love with Jesus. And if we can do those things, we've reached that. And if you don't have children, you might be teachers. 
We might be grandparents. We always got kids in our life. We have two neighbor boys, a couple houses down, and they love to run down to our house. And the little, there's an older one and a little one, and the little one cannot understand. He just, I can't understand him. But um, he comes down, and I don't know, I must be a sounding board, because he always comes down and says, can I tell you a secret? Don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. And he whispers in my ear, and I can't understand a word he says. Well, and the other day he came down, and can I tell you a secret? So I understood what he said, but I'm going to kind of tell you, but he won't. (laughs) He says, my older brother, he just beats on me all the time. And I said, yeah, you know, that's that's just the plight of being a younger brother. Just ask Micah, because he likes Micah. He comes down and watches TV with Micah. Just ask Micah. I said, but you know what? The reason that is is because God wants younger brothers to be really tough and strong, and he is just priming you. And he threw his shoulders back. I know he went back home and just whooped up on his brother. <laughs> so, so you always have kids in your life to influence them. So we want kids to grow strong in stature, strong in body. If you look at Luke, we'll start there. We went into this last time. Luke chapter 2. Start with, we'll just read verse 40. Uh, we read scriptures also, and I'm not going to look into them, about John the Baptist, how he grew in, in stature and became strong in spirit. And then in Luke chapter 2, verse 40, this talks about Jesus. And if this is the way God wanted Jesus to be raised, I'm sure it's the way he wants our children to be raised. And it says, And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So, it's important, and sometimes we overlook those things. We spiritual, tend to spiritualize things so much that we overlook the practical things. And God, I found the more I study it, the more practical. God is practical. It's just line upon line, precept upon precept. Start with getting the kids strong and healthy. Good nutrition, good sleep, lots of physical activity. This Michael Pearl makes three quotes that I want to give you. He says, your children need to develop the body, mind, and spirit that God gave them. Now, we've always talked about being three-part beings. We are spirits created in the image and likeness of God. We have minds, that's our mind, our will, our emotion, our thinking processes, but we live in bodies. And all the spirit, while we're on earth, the spirit and the soul or the mind is housed in the body. And so we tend to want to develop the spirit and just neglect the mind and the body, but we need, God does everything in order, body, mind, spirit. So we want to develop the body and then the mind will follow, and then the spiritual development will follow after that. He says the greatest benefit of growing strong in body is what it does for the spirit of the child. You know, a kid that is can take care of themselves physically, there's a confidence and a strength about them that you don't have in the kid that, you know, that has grown up to be kind of weak. So the greatest benefit is growing up strong in body is what it does for the spirit of the child. The third thing he says is strong, healthy bodies 
tend toward or lead toward strong, healthy minds that will help strong, healthy spirits, which leads to usefulness, happiness, health, and productivity. And if you want to know the goal for raising your kids, you want them to be useful, happy, healthy, and productive. In fact, that's what God wants for all of us. He wants us to be useful, happy, healthy, and productive. And, uh, you know, I was reading this week. I don't know where I was reading it. And it talked, it was an article about how the suicide rate in the United States is so high. Not just among teens, but even among like people in their 70s and and in that age, and how it's just, they showed on a chart how it's just gotten high. And so they had done studies on why this was. What was the factors that was causing these suicide rates to be so high? And according to this article, the only factor that really seemed to make a difference in why suicide rates were so high was that people didn't have a purpose in their life because they had no religion. It all came down to people that had some sense of spirituality and religion and realized there was a purpose for their life and they were doing things to fulfill that weren't nearly as apt to commit suicide as those that didn't. So we want to live useful, happy, healthy, and productive lives, and that's what we want for the generations following us. So um, if you turn now over to Luke to fifth, verse 52. So, in Jesus, they wanted, he, became, he grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom and grace God was upon him. And then in verse 52, it says again, it says, in Jesus, increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. It says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature. He was strong in body. He became strong in spirit. And that led to the third thing, he increased in wisdom. So we want to, our children, the younger generation, to be strong in body, strong in spirit, and then we want them to be wise. Now, where the stories start is that I think so many times we stereotype people, and, and Christians tend to really stereotype people, and we think that, you know, children have to be, that everybody has to be perfect and and, and good, but, you know, that's why Jesus came. And and Joan, a couple of weeks ago on Saturday morning, she's talking about testimonies, and she says, you think you don't have a testimony, but everybody has a testimony. And I just think my testimony is for the kids that get in trouble all the time. <laughs> if you have kids that get in trouble and you just can't figure them out, or grandkids, or if you're a teacher and you think, oh, my God, there's no hope for that kid. You didn't know me when I was a kid. And you think that there's... And I we went to ministers' meetings, and I just could never get over this. When they heard about what I was like as a kid, which I probably shouldn't have told them, it was like they treated me like I could never get saved. <laughs> you know, it was just like, oh, and we have to realize everybody has a past, and and that's what Jesus came for. And I just used to get in so much trouble as a kid, and I think people have trouble seeing. They, they come into this church, and I've been here for 30 years, and they just think I'm the pastor's wife and I'm quiet or whatever, but I used to get in so much trouble. And it wasn't because I was a bad kid. It was just I was bored. 
And I was, I liked activity, I liked excitement, and if it wasn't happening, I was going to make it happen. And I had a friend, you know, you gravitate towards those kind of people. I had a friend that was just like me. We went through school together. I mean, we got so much trouble. And then there was a third kid in our class, and it's funny, Julie Osborne works for Dr. Ernst in Columbus. Well, Dr. Ernst's wife grew up in Monroe, and her older brother was in our class, and he was number three. I mean, and our teacher, we had our class was like, you know, back then in the little schools, we had fourth, fifth, and sixth grade together. And she was, she grew, this teacher was a good teacher, and she'd raised boys, and she just dealt with us pretty well. And she would sit, my friend and I and him, always together right there. Because I think it eliminated the problem of having to watch everybody else. If she could control the three of us, she could control everybody. And but we just harassed this kid. And we were just always looking for something to cause trouble, just always stirring up trouble. And back then, it just wasn't the big issue it is, it is now. I mean, from the time I was really little, we just always string up trouble. I can remember in second grade, this was before we had this teacher. We had a grumpy teacher in second grade. And, and the school was small. You'd go down to the kitchen. You'd get your tray of food, and then you'd bring it up to the classroom. And the classroom we had was like there was an aisle of kids' desks here and an aisle of desks here, and then the teacher's desk was at the end. So you, we had this little moment of time when the teacher was still down getting her food when you were unsupervised in that I mean that just uh, the thing that we started and this was in second grade was we made this game up we'd rush upstairs with our tray full of food in our milk cartons and we would play kind of a shuffleboard game we'd take the carton of milk and we'd slide it down because we had hardwood floors no carpeting and and hit the teachers to see who could come the closest to hitting the teacher's desk. <laughs> well, you know, with kids, everything progresses. That got boring. So pretty soon we developed the game. If we could hit, the winner was the one that could hit the teacher's desk and bounce the milk carton back the furthest. Well, we were doing pretty good on that. But then, you know, you just have to keep in competition. You have to keep hitting. One day, three of us all bing, 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 hit that teacher's desk, and the milk cartons erupted. They just shot through the whole room. And we were just, she always had a, some rags there to clean up, but, I mean, we were cleaning up. But it went all over her desk. And, I mean, it was just constant stuff, just, just like that all the time. And then we get into the next class, and we have... The, uh, this kid's name was Conrad, and he would sit here, and and my friend and I would sit there, and this teacher was so strict about keeping your desk clean and keeping them wiped off, and so whenever she wasn't looking, we just wanted to get him in trouble all the time. So we had our black crayons, and whenever she would look away, we'd reach over and go across the desk with the black crayon. <laughs> And then it just became a war. He'd get two and come across our, and one day he got up late from lunch and we had his desk just colored solid black. And he came up and he quick laid everything over and he's scrubbing. And, but back then, 
I don't know, they just kind of liked kids that were full of it, and we were just full of, I mean, it was just one thing. And I always said I probably would be, if I grew up in today's society, I would be in juvie, there's no doubt, because it just, that was third, fourth grade, second grade, third grade, and it just advanced as we got older and older. <laughs> and, and we got in high school, well, in junior high, then we went through the thing where the teacher would step out of the room and we'd open the fire escape and the kid co sitting closest would get thrown down. And then in, uh, we had this old teacher, she was old, and she taught biology in high school, and her room was on the first level up, and she was so hard of hearing. And so we wanted to prove to ourselves how hard of hearing she was. So she'd go up to the blackboard, and we would take turns crawling out the window on the first floor and jumping down and then coming up around and seeing if we could make it without. I, it was just goofy stuff just all the time. And so people, you think, oh, I can't raise this kid to be. Listen, we didn't stab people. We didn't, you know, do things like that. But definitely we bullied people. Conrad got bullied all the time. We, I had these pencils and they had little Indians. We'd gotten them on vacation. And you pulled the little head off and there was nails under there. And he would be supposed to be reading or doing something, you know, how you go around the route. And we'd just reach over under the desk and whack him with those nails. And he would be trying to keep his voice down because inevitably he was the one that always got in trouble. And that was the whole inspiration for the whole thing. We were just always trying to get him in trouble. And then he went to SCOTUS in high school, and we were mad. No wonder he went to SCOTUS. but <laughs> We were just harassing him. But all of this to say, we can't, you know, we look at other people and we look at, oh, there's no hope for them. Oh, there's, listen, if there's hope for me, there's hope for anybody. I remember we had a call one time a few years ago and somebody's kid had gotten in trouble and they wanted to let us know. They called the right person because they got me. I, oh, it's no big deal. Kid, A kid that has a little oomph is, is going to be all right. And so if your kid has oomph, they're going to be all right. But you have to, the thing is, I had not developed, I was, I was strong in body. And I was, had this intense kind of spirit. But I hadn't developed much wisdom yet in anything I did. And my, my um, dad was a lot, or I was a lot like my dad. My mom was always trying to impart wisdom. But we'll go through this, and this is how you get wisdom. In Isaiah, uh, you don't need to turn this. Isaiah 11, verse 2. This is talking about Jesse's offspring, which would imply David first and also Jesus. So it's kind of a prophecy. It says, The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. And in my Bible, it takes wisdom in, and defines it this way in, from this scripture. Wisdom defined in this scripture is wiseness, skillfulness, whether in an artistic sense or craftsmanship or wisdom in the moral sense. So wisdom that was developed, the spirit of the Lord that rested upon David and upon Jesus was a skillfulness. Now, if you think about David, 
he was in the, it's as skillful in the artistic sense. David was skillful at playing the harp. And that was developed in his life. And then wisdom and craftsmanship, he car- his craft was caring for the sheep. And he became skilled in that. And then, like I talked about in order, so skillfulness, craftsmanship, and then wisdom is developed in the moral sense. Now, I had a lot of uh, skillfulness in a lot of areas. I mean, I did a lot of things. I talked, you know, talked about you learn to swim, you learn to ride the horse, you learn to cook, you learn to do all these things, and, and that's good. That's where you want to start with your kids, just Get them to be skillful in as many areas as you can, and they will gravitate towards the things that really interest them. I use the example that Caleb, from the time he was little, all he ever wanted to do was shoot, shoot bows and arrows, bows and arrows. He just developed a skillfulness in that, and even now, like when he goes to bowfish, there's just, he's got such an innate skill. He does, it's just kind of, it's hard to explain. There's just an innate skill, but he developed that because he just shot, shot, shot all the time. Well, you think, what does that have to do with godliness? Well, obviously, David developed skillfulness in slingshots. Don't think that he hit Goliath in the head and killed him because he'd thrown that slingshot one time. He must have sat out on the side of that mountain and practiced and practiced and practiced. So skillfulness. So, And let your kids gravitate and then influence them. Just give them the tools to do that. You don't have to sit and, and make them. That, that will happen if you just encourage those things. So skillfulness in the sense of the artistic sense, and then it develops into craftsmanship. And you think, well, my kid isn't a, a craftsman. Well, you know, Caleb here was the example. He had that skill. And from the other thing that he always liked to do when he was little, he just liked to build stuff. And we'd just give him nails and hammers and boards, and he'd just pound all the time. Well, one thing develops to another. And those were the two things he likes to do. He likes to shoot, and he likes to build. And so we let that develop. And... and uh, so those you, the child develops a sense of self worth, a self sense of self confidence, and it, you know, every you've got to realize every kid is different. I, you know, I did lots of things. 4-H did not work for me. 4-H is a great program. It didn't work for me because they had lots of meetings, and you had to sit through those meetings. And you were required to behave yourself during those meetings. It just didn't work for me. I could do the cooking, but the sewing, I, I just it was not my thing. And so I would cause trouble, and eventually I just didn't do it. But Girl Scouts was great for me because we never had meetings. We just had activities. Activities was where I flourished, was activity, because I just moved all the time and you think oh these kids today are so hyper they would have put Redlin in my arm intravenously when I was a kid I had so much energy I bounced all the time and we've got movies and they couldn't even take pictures of me because I was just but see um, I don't know if you realize people that uh, girls especially from northern European countries that are blue eyed and 
blonde hair tend to be super hyperactive. It's a high percentage because you had to be busy. It's a genetic thing. You had to work. You had to be active to stay warm or whatever. And then farm families, you know, like you had to work. There was just lots in the people that were highly energetic and had a lot of energy to do stuff were the ones that flourished in farms and those kinds of things. So that's still coursing through my veins and it's still probably coursing through a lot of your children's veins. Those things are built into them. And I was just so super hyper. But if you kept me busy, like in Girl Scouts, you had all these badges to earn. And there were that I flourished in that because it was a sense of accomplishment and that that was my thing. And then, of course, playing ball. So you've got to find where your kid flourishes and make sure that you just put them, give them the opportunities to do, to do those things because that's how skillfulness and craftsmanship develop. David developed that while he was out caring for the sheep. And then after the skillfulness, after the craftsmanship, then the wisdom starts to come, ideally but we need to put some things into that. Biblical wisdom unites with God, the source of all understanding, where principles of right living are now put into practice. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't teach your kid from the very early stages, you should start teaching them social skills and how to behave and those things. But you need to do all these other things. And so many times I've seen through the years Christians... Um, I, you know, if I had to do it over again, I'd probably homeschool the kids. But back when we were younger, I didn't want to homeschool because I'd seen so many Christian families, and they didn't homeschool the kids so much to put something in it. It was like to protect them from the evils of society, and they became very... They just couldn't operate and function socially. And we need to... Make sure that you get them out there. Tim Tebow is a great example. He was homeschooled, but they had him out there. You know, he played football. He did all these things, and he was able to function socially. So we need to be out there. It talks about Jesus was, they let him out when he was eight years old, and he was about his father's business. He was out doing things, and we need to let those things develop. So... So the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding. But it, here again, it comes in stages. Children are not born wise. They are empty slates. Okay? And then in um, Acts 6.10, it talks about wisdom again with a different definition. It says, and they were not able, this was speaking of Jesus, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. So first Jesus developed in in strength of body, strength of spirit, and then he developed in wisdom. It says they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. Now, the definition for wisdom here is practical wisdom. And if you see when Jesus teaches, everything he taught was very practical. It was He dealt with the farmers. He dealt with the fishermen at levels they could understand. Practical wisdom, prudence, skill, insight, right application to knowledge. Knowledge is a good thing. You have to have knowledge to have wisdom. You have to have understanding to have wisdom. But a lot of people 
especially this day and age, you develop a lot of knowledge and there's no wisdom to go with it. You, they sit at Harvard and they get these big educations and they're just full of knowledge, but there is no practical application of godliness to go with it, so there's no wisdom. So practical wisdom, prudent skill, insight, right application to knowledge, and insight into the, the true nature of things. Children are not born wise. They are blank pages. It is the responsibility of the parent to fill the page. And that doesn't mean you just control them or hover over them, but you just develop, work at at providing them opportunities to develop these things. In Proverbs 22, 6, it says, train up a child in the way he should go, And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So it's a matter of training. And I think so many times, the other reason I'm talking about when I was a kid, because you think, oh, there's no hope for this kid, or I can't do this. It takes a lot of steady application, day after day, year after year, to impart wisdom. It's a thing that grows and happens. Training is a process, and it can be done. We can... Train, like I said, manners, how to behave, how to function socially, how to recognize right from wrong. That's something that is not being trained in a lot of kids this day, how to recognize right from wrong, how to recognize evil, good from evil, and how to make right choices accordingly. And training takes place in multiple ways. But wisdom comes primarily from applying the word of God to everyday experiences. So we need to do two things. We need to get the word in them. You can get the word in them in several ways. Prayer, speaking the word over the child. So like I said, I never was much of a, I didn't like to pray a lot, but having kids taught me how to pray. You pray and you take the word of God and speak it over them. I thank you, Father God, that as I've trained up this child in the way he should go, when he is old, he will not depart from it. You are putting the word into their life. They don't even need to hear it, but God's word is active and alive, and it will accomplish that thing that it is sent to do. So you need to speak the word over your kids. You need to pray for them. But they also need to hear the word, but they need to hear the word on their level. Okay, a lot of Bible stories, um, but apply it with everyday experiences. Um, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11. We'll look there. Deuteronomy chapter 11. Verses 18 through 22. And here we're talking about basically the role of men and women, the role of parents. 18 through 22. God instructs us. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. You cannot put the word of God into your children's lives if you don't have the word of God in your life. So you've got to start with yourself. You've got to start with the word of God. Okay? So therefore, you shall lay up the words of mine in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign on your hand. And it's more important with kids that you live them, then then you shove it down their throats. When you walk the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. In other words, get the word of God in your life. Begin to act wisely by applying the word of God in the practical things of your life. 
and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them in the days of heavens above, above the earth. For if you carefully keep all these commandments which I command you to do, the, to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and hold fast, then the Lord will drive out all these nations before you. If you want motivation to train your kids, this is it. Because God says if you do it according to the word of God, they will grow up and have long life and so will you because that's what God is endeavoring us to do with our lives. So wisdom comes step by step. Remember in Luke 2.52 it talked about and Jesus grew or he increased in wisdom and stature. He didn't start, even Jesus did not start out wise. He had to grow in wisdom and stature. And so we want our kids to grow step by step, line upon line, in wisdom and stature. But you know what? That applies to us too. We should never quit going after wisdom. we got to stay one step ahead of them anyway, one step ahead of them. So we need wisdom in our life. If you want wisdom in your life, you do the same things. Develop skills, you know, do things. Apply the word of God towards your life in the everyday things that you do. And never quit doing it. So Jesus grew and increased in wisdom and stature. You have to realize it is a process. Proverbs 10.21 says, Fools die for want of wisdom. Fools are people that don't believe in the word of God, don't believe in God, and don't act accordingly. So fools die for want of wisdom. In James 1.5, it says, If you ask for wisdom, we'll give you... I will give you wisdom for whatever you have need of. He'll give you that wisdom abundantly, you know. And I have just made it a process. Everything I, so many things I do, if I don't know how to figure it out, if I don't know how to do it, I just ask for wisdom. Now, have you, has anybody ever played that blocked-in game on the computer? Have you ever seen that blocked game? <laughs> I don't do many games, but they have these blocks and you have to, Un, it's like a maze, and you have to figure out how to get it through. And I don't. I do maybe one a day, but I'm getting up there in levels, and they're getting harder and harder. And I just, some days they're so hard, I just can't figure them out. And inevitably, I thought, I say, Holy Spirit, how do I do this? I can get it just like that. It's just amazing. But people don't use God in their life for simple things like that, and that's how those things are developed. Use it for, you know, God, I don't know what to fix for supper tonight. What should we have? And inevitably, I get this great idea, and it becomes like a game to me. How can you do this, God? Can you, you know? And so use God every day. It, it develops something within you, and it develops. If you can hear God on what to fix for supper, you can hear God on how to raise your kid or how to deal with complex situations. Proverbs 29:15 says the rod and reproof give wisdom but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. One more story. I grew up, you know, at Monroe, there's the Loop Canal. If you ever go on 81, there's the Loop Canal. Well, if you go up to Monroe, there's a big powerhouse there. There's a smaller a powerhouse at Monroe, powerhouse at Columbus, the canal comes along and we make, they make electricity. Well, when I was five, they moved a house right up there, 
so that there could be somebody at the property all the time. And my dad got the job. He had worked for them, and he had helped the whole thing. Anyway, we lived there. So we, our house was probably from here to the doors from the, the canal. Now, that water is dangerous. That water comes through the canal from the west, and it drops into the powerhouse, and that's what turns the turbines. And then it comes out on the east side, and there's a swirling whirlpool effect, and that water is da- it's about 25 feet deep, you don't realize, and those whirlpools can pull people down. And, but there's great fishing there. It used to be till the government killed off all the fish. Anyway, that's another story. But, but it was great fishing, and snagging used to be popular, where they'd throw in with the big hook, treble hooks, and, and they'd snag, and they'd catch them and bring them in. And then they made it illegal. So they can't do that. So at night, late at night, all the snaggers would come. And they, some of them would bring their kids, and they'd beat up there late at night. And, and there, were some, there was one guy, and he was just terrible. He had all these little kids, and he would just let them run around there. He was so busy snagging. And these kids were still in diapers, and he was just letting them run. There used to be a ledge down along the water, and they... And my dad used to get so mad, he would just let him have it. He was trying to bring wisdom to this guy. In fact, the funny thing is, I, once in a while I click on the Columbus Telegram, and about a month ago it had to be this kid guy's grandson, and he was going to the pen. So it just, wisdom was never imparted to those kids. And he grew up to be like his grandpa. Anyway. So that water was so dangerous. So when we moved up there and I was little and super hyper, everybody would say, oh, aren't you afraid of putting, having her live up there by that water? Aren't you afraid? And uh, no, we're going to we'll make sure she toes the line. And when I was real little, any time I was out alone, they put a life jacket on me. <laughs> I always had life jackets. And then they put me in swimming classes right away. And so that I'd learn to swim. And, and I got pretty, you know, I was a good swimmer, and I learned to behave myself by the water because I liked to fish in there. Like I said, there used to be a ledge down there, and that was our fishing spot. And friends and relatives, we'd all come up and they'd fish. And I outgrew the life jacket. They began to trust me. I started to operate in wisdom. And then I had these little cousins, and they used to have to wear the life jackets, and then they, and the whole thing. And the, about 12, 13 years old, I my two cousins and I, they were a little younger, we were over there fishing along the sledge, and it was so hot that day, I can remember. And there used to be a little, there's one stairway and then this ledge and then another stairway that led up to the road along the canal. So we were sitting down there, and the fish weren't biting. It was hot. And, and if they shut the turbines off, then the water just free falls down through, they call it the tainer gate. It drops through the tainer gate because, and just lets it free fall through because they aren't going to make any. And when that happens, the water rises fast, and they have a horn that blows up. So anybody around knows that this water is extremely dangerous now, and it's rising fast. So we're sitting down there, and I knew all these things. You know, kids know these things but don't always have wisdom but it was so hot and the horn goes off and they start letting the water through 
And what would happen was farmers, if they'd have a pig or something die and they didn't want to get rid of it, they'd take it up west and drop it into the canal. Well, that day, somebody must have dropped a cow in, and the cow comes through the water. And it's like, have you ever seen Big Sur, you know, where, where at the bottom of a waterfall, the water hits and it's coming up high like, like this, like waves? Well, we're sitting down along that ledge, and the water starts coming down. And we have the bright idea, oh, what a great way to cool off. And so the water's coming through, and this cow comes through, and the water's going so high, I can still see this cow, huge, big, bloated, dead cow, and it's the water's just tossing it up like this. And we're sitting down there, and the water's coming over us, and just, just having a good old time. And about then, I see my dad... And he looks out the window, and he yells something. And about 10, not even 10 seconds, two seconds later, I see him come out the front door of the powerhouse. And he did not just come out. He hit that door, running. And I could see the look on his face. He was mad. My mom was the disciplinarian of the family. My dad was like me. He liked action and activity and fun, but he was mad. And he never... Abuse. He would never abuse a kid, but he was mad. And wisdom suddenly came to my life. And I took off up the steps, running east, down the canal road as fast as I could go. And he was in his 50s. And I mean, he was booking it, yelling at me all the way. Just, And I, I was just running, and my two cousins picked up the fishing poles and went home. They left me on my own. <laughs> because I was supposed to be responsible for them and if anything had happened to them. Anyway, I ran probably 300 yards just going east as fast as I could go, and he's just coming after me as fast as I could go, and he never caught me. Thank God I could run. That's why you teach him. <laughs> but he got close, and we both ran out of gas, and I kept my distance, and he let me have it. And wisdom came. And you think, oh, you know, when I discipline my kid, i got to be so gentle. And so he let me have it. Being gentle at that point in my life didn't do me any good because I was hard-headed. I was stupid. But he brought wisdom into my life right then and there. He didn't have to beat me, but he let me know. He was serious, and he scared the bejeebers out of me. <laughs> I took off running. Wisdom comes through reproof and correction. And so you can't be afraid. You don't have to be your kid's buddy all the time. Dad, I love my dad. We were buddies. But there came a point in, that, in our life, he wasn't my buddy that day. And it brought wisdom in my life. It probably, you can see, I, I still remember, I can still see the look on his face. It opened up the world of wisdom to me and I began it just like something happened at that point in my life I started to get it I started to realize that the things that I did had consequences it would have affected my cousins and their family and my dad and it was really stupid and I needed to wake up a little bit so there's going to become a place in your kids life and don't be afraid for reproof teach your children to observe Proverbs talks about you know, it talks about observe the field of the lazy man. 
Teach your kids to observe. I should have observed that that was a very dangerous situation, and I was just oblivious. But you need to teach your kids to observe. That is not critical. It's not being judgmental, but they become wise through observation. And I know I... I'm opinionated, but we would take, I would take the boys. One, my, one of my biggest things that I hate is when people take their old couches and put them on the porch over the summer, and then they get rained on, and they get mildewy, and they get yucky, and it just looks yuck. But if the, anything I hate above that, then they leave it on all year, all fall. The weeds grow up, and then they come out at Christmas and put decorations out, and I would drive the boys by, and I'd say, observe the feel of a lazy man. That is stupid. Why are you putting Christmas decorations up, and you can't even pull the weeds and get the garbage out? And you think, oh, that's so judgmental. No. And, and yeah, you can lean to the judgmental or the critical, but you need to teach your children to observe those things. Teach, teach them, you know, why, why is this kid doing that? And you don't want to, look what's going to happen. We always, you know, the boys like their guns. And we always, the one motivation for them to not get in trouble is we'd say, better not get in trouble in your life or, because once you're a felon, you can't have guns. <laughs> you know, once you're, you don't want to be a felon. Once you're a felon, you can't have guns. Stay out of trouble. And so begin to observe those things and train, oh, that's, that's a terrible way to look at it. But that was where they related, okay? You have to try to find where they relate. Proverbs twelve twenty seven. it says, The lazy man does not roast what he took hunting, but diligence is a man's prized possession. You're going to shoot it, you're going to clean it, you're going to eat it. You start to take it where they're at and put the word of God into them. Isaiah 28, 9, and 10 says, line upon line, here a little, there a little. And that's how you have to impart wisdom. That's how we get wisdom. I don't, you know, God just doesn't open the curtains and wisdom comes, although it did with me that day on the canal. But still, we still need to develop wisdom all along. I have never thought that I have been very tactful. If I say it, I just say it out there, and I probably offend a lot of people. So my, I've been trying to develop wisdom on how to be tactful, how to say things to people tactfully without hurting their feelings. Okay, So we never quit growing in the need to grow and develop in wisdom. So um, it's line upon line. Precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. So if you get something across to your kid and then he messes up the next day, it's not the end of the world. It's line upon line. You just got to go to the next line. The thing is, it takes time and effort. It requires repetitiveness and that the parents be involved. If my dad had not been involved with me that day, I don't know what would have happened. And he was there and we had the the privilege of always being around but that's one of the problems with society today parents you know when you grow up on the farm the parents are always there but now when they go off to work who is there and there's so many latchkey kids and it takes time and effort you need to stay on top of what your kids are doing and keep an eye and know what's going on in their lives because the next way to develop wisdom is to instill habits of self-discipline and self-control. 
I did not have a lot of self-control as a kid. It took a lot of time to develop it. For me, it came through playing sports because I was motivated by sports, so I had to develop. I was motivated to become self-controlled so that I would not get on in a fight on the basketball court and get kicked out of the games because it came close a couple times. <laughs> I would get really mad, and then I didn't play well, and I had to learn. And so wisdom, all these practical experiences are what affect the child, and so that's why you got to let them get out there. you got to let them get five fouls and out of the game multiple times before the light starts to go on. You can't do that, okay? So we need to instill habits of self-discipline and self-control, and my mom was so self-disciplined and so self-controlled, and I saw that in her life all of my life, but it took a long time before it started to sink in. Um, another way to help kids to observe is through Bible stories. You can take the Bible stories like Samson and see, explain how, how did Samson blow it? You know, what did David do was good and what did David do is right? And that helps put the word in. So in, we need to instill habits of self-discipline and self-control and some of that comes through the observation. Number four. We need to teach your children and the next generation to discern between good and evil, between right and wrong. And boy, that's a tough one right now. Years ago when we first started in the ministry, all the older ministers were talking about secular humanism, and I didn't get it. And basically right now we are seeing all the repercussions of secular humanism, because basically what secular humanism says is that you're God, there is no God, you're God, and so whatever you think is right is right, and whatever you think is wrong is wrong. And we couldn't understand that years ago, but that's what's happening in the world right now. There's no sense of, of what's right or wrong. You can go out and protest the Keystone Pipeline because you disagree with it and leave the place a bigger mess than the pipeline is going to ever cause. You know, there's no right or wrong. And if you want your kids to make it, they need to understand there is good in the world, there is evil in the world, and that's it. And the guys beat us. I'm almost done. Okay, so the other thing is parental control does not produce wisdom or self-discipline. You can't just control the... The worst thing for my folks to do would have been to try to control me because the minute somebody tried to control me, I was so stubborn you couldn't control me. Children need to be trained and then allowed to develop their own personal self-control. And I know it had to be hard on my folks to allow me... It's just hard to let your kids make mistakes and have to pay the consequences for them, but thank God... And that's another thing we don't do today is we don't allow kids to take pay the consequences. My folks, I paid lots of consequences, and it took lots of consequences to get through my head. So wisdom is gained by making wise, small choices. Wise, small choices lead to wise, big decisions. Wise decisions both big and small, produce the God kind of life. They help us to become productive, useful, happy. Ecclesiastes 7.12 says, Wisdom 
gives life to them that have it. So we all want to have wisdom. We want our kids to have wisdom. And so we're going to do that by, number one, helping them to have strong bodies, helping them to be strong in spirit, and ever growing in wisdom. And we need to be doing the same things. We should be, you know, endeavoring to have strong bodies, strong, being strong in spirit, and growing in wisdom daily. So, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you give us wisdom, and we ask for wisdom in our daily lives, everything we do. And we thank you, Father God, and I pray that we are able to train up our children in the way they should go, and they will not depart from it. I thank you, Father God, that our children are wise, full of godly wisdom, knowledge, and understanding, and that favor surround them as with a shield. 